let's catch up. I feel like I've learned lots of life lessons lately that I think will be interesting and valuable, some tips and takeaways and things to think about. I don't do storytime podcasts often because I always try to bring up topics that I think will bring the most value and it's much less about me and much more about you. But for this period of life, a catch-up episode seems like the jam. So let's go. You're listening to the How to Be Awesome at Everything podcast, where we're obsessed with life hacks that make your life more awesome. Your host, Lindsay Dickhout, is an entrepreneur and business owner, a mom and wife, and someone who wants to do things over the top at all times. This concept started as a collection of things Lindsay has learned that she was documenting to give to her kids one day, and now it's a podcast. Join us on this journey where we talk about how to be awesome at everything we do. Here's Lindsay. What a whirlwind the last few weeks have been, especially the last few days. Thank you so much for listening today. I'm so excited to be back podcasting. I absolutely hate when I get off my podcast schedule. And I'm telling you, the only way that I could fit it in would be to compromise sleep and do it in the middle of the night, which is something I've just had to do a hard stop on. I've said it before, but it's one of my only real regrets over the last kind of 20 years in doing business and trying to juggle everything is I would compromise way too much sleep. And I think it just has so many effects on the body that I should have prioritized differently. But honestly, I don't even know how I would have done things, especially when my babies were little and I wanted to be so involved and I had so many work deadlines. I don't even know what the alternative was, but I still wish I wouldn't have compromised so much sleep. So I don't live in the past, but just using the past to make the best decisions going forward and in the present day, I just can't miss out on sleep. So when the days are so full and life gets crazy, sometimes the podcast takes a back seat, but I'm back on. I have so many good topics planned, things I've been reading about and having really brilliant conversations with people like the other person's brilliant and I'm absorbing all the information and I'll say I'm brilliant having the conversations. Um, but just like so much cool stuff that I think you will think is really interesting and get little nuggets of value and apply it to your own life and all different aspects of life. So I'm so excited to get back on the jam of podcasting. But first to kick this little season back off, I wanted to do a catch up podcast together to kind of share the different things I've gone through lately, the lessons learned and how I think it will be valuable either for you now in the present or maybe when you are in similar situations, I hope you're not for some of the situations, but if you're in similar situations in the future, hopefully my experience and what I've learned and kind of what I had to learn by going through it because I didn't know before, hopefully that could save you some time or some pain or help with managing health or all the other things that we manage in life. So first, top of mind, if you've been following me on Instagram, you know that my husband, Craig, um, his defibrillator, which was put in, we just celebrated the one year of his defibrillator, but getting put in one year since he went into cardiac arrest in the ICU, we were like, just so happy. We haven't had a major episode since he, we know he has ongoing heart issues. He has heart disease. He was diagnosed early. Most of it's genetic, but he has several different issues. So it's a very kind of complicated case, but we just celebrated a year. Things were really looking great. And then Sunday night, right now, this is Wednesday night. So 
Sunday night at 11.45. I'm awake next to him in bed. He's asleep. He jumps up out of bed and screams, but he wears that mouth tape so that you do really great breathing when you sleep. So he had mouth tape on. And I thought he was having a nightmare because I just, I had no idea. And I couldn't really, I could tell he was screaming, but I couldn't tell that since the scream was so muted, which was actually disturbing, like someone was being muffled. The scream was so muted from the tape, I couldn't really tell that he was screaming in pain, which is what it was. Because when your defibrillator goes off, um, basically what it is, is your heart stopping and the machine inside you kicks and restarts your heart. So it's kind of like the paddles, like being shocked in the hospital. So it hurts. So he screamed, jumped, 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 like literally like, I don't know, like level to the bed, like literally fully jumped up, um, got up, screamed again, ripped off his mouthpiece. And he's like, it shocked me. And I still thought he was talking about a nightmare. And I was like, what shocked you? And he's like, "This," this, like pointing to his chest. And I'm like, oh my God. And for me, this is really the most um, challenging part of managing Craig's health. I can do all the crazy correspondence with doctors and the complications and learning and reading and all that kind of stuff. What is very hard is not knowing what's going to happen next in that moment. And from seeing him in the ICU, going to cardiac arrest, turn blue, seizure, all the things, in my mind, my greatest fear is that happening at home. Now, having a defibrillator is like now we have a safety net, which we didn't have before. So he is less likely to, you know, have a heart attack in bed and die or go into cardiac arrest. Thank goodness. That's that's our safety blanket, our safety net. And so, but still, I'm like, oh my God, what's gonna happen next? So I'm like, 911, 911, and he's not saying anything. So I dial 911. Then he's like, no. Then I hang up and it must have been quick because they didn't call back. And then I just start calling. I could tell then he could, like, he he was coming back too. And he could talk and he could walk. And um, I started calling our our main con- concierge cardiologist. We have lots of doctors. Um, but we I call, was calling Dr. Rajput over and over. And again, it's almost midnight. I'm calling him over and over. He finally answers. He's like, what's going on? And I'm like, um, it, it, the defibrillator went off twice. Um, and it's crazy because it happened so fast. Craig was like, no, I think it was once. And I was like, oh, it was twice. And then once we went to the hospital, they confirmed. Actually, it's crazy. When you go into the hospital, they have a machine that does a full download of the device. And it tells you all your rhythms and 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 everything that your heart's done. So it said, yes, two full, two full, basically, you know, kind of heart stops that the machine got him back going again. The craziest thing that we learned later in the hospital is that when he had his cardiac arrest in the hospital, it was called, um, there's many types of arrest and his was what they told us was the most dangerous. Um, So it's like V tachycardia, right? So it's ventricular. So it's the bottom of the heart and you just have seconds. Like it's just, it's like, it's just like the instant killer. What we learned from the test this time is this one was even worse than that, which I didn't even know was possible, which they call a flat line. So it was even more severe and the defibrillator 100% saved his life in that moment in the bed three nights ago, Sunday night. So um, we talked to Rajput. He's like, you must go. We got to figure out what's going on. We got to figure out, did you have a heart attack at the same time? Is there heart damage? Could this happen again an hour later? Like you need to get there. Called a family friend. 
he came over, slept in the guest bedroom. All the kids were, of course, asleep. I was like, I will be back before they wake up. I just need you here. He's such an incredible friend. He came, was like, I got you, anything you need. We bolted. I drove Craig to the ER, walked into the ER. I said his defibrillator went off at Hogue in Newport Beach. They're incredible. Took him right back because it's, you know, pretty much, you know, top of the top of the list of, of, of priorities as far as reasons you could go to the ER. So they get him in. And the difference between now and last time is that he was not in heart failure this time. Like his blood pressure was okay. His heart rate was high, which is not great. Um, but no, nothing, nothing was like last time where he was like just in, uh, everything was a disaster all over the place. And we were just trying to put out fires and plug holes all over the place. So we stay in the ER most of the night. Then they transfer us to the cardiac floor and the whole time I'm journaling. And this is the important part. I really want to focus on the takeaways. So since we've, since we've gone through several rounds like this, I've learned you think that you will remember, but you won't. So I wrote down everything. 11.45, um, defibrillator went off. Uh, uh, 12.20, walk into ER. This is his blood pressure. This is, I mean, every, every little detail. I'm looking at the monitor and I'm just writing down like full page, flip the page, full page. Every time a doctor comes in, question mark, what, what are we figuring out? What's this? Okay, cat. Okay, CT scan. Okay, ultrasound of the heart. Just writing all the things down. Also, in this situation, you're most likely going to be sleep deprived. And it's so great. And I can't tell you how many times doctors would walk in and ask me a question and I would just look back at the notes and tell them. Because the really interesting thing that I've learned about all this is you can have the most brilliant doctors, but everybody's busy. And the other thing is when you have several doctors who are working on your you or your family member, your friend, what the patient, they're they're not all meeting at the same time. So if you have a cardiologist and then you have a, you know, if you have a kidney doctor and you have, and you have somebody else and you have a nurse, they're not always all going to come in at the same time. They're all doing rounds. They have different patients. Some are more urgent. So a lot of times it, you need to, from my experience, take it on and know it is your responsibility to share the information between the doctors. So the other thing that I would do that became really helpful um, is I would just hit the audio record on my phone. So that way, usually it's not, I mean, I try to just be, if I'm just holding my phone, I'll just hit record and just kind of hold my phone. So it's not awkward and I don't feel like it's, you know, breaking any, you know, any part of the relationship, but sometimes they say so much and it, and it goes so fast. And especially on the phone, I would just hit it on speakerphone, grab another phone, I have a work phone and a personal phone for, but for me, so for me, that's really easy, but you can just grab someone else's phone, hit speakerphone, and then just hit record on the other phone. And then that way you can just listen back, especially with the, these really important things. Then I would just write down keynotes and be able to tell the other doctors when they came in. So that way everyone is cross-referencing. In our case, through the years, We've sort of gained different doctors in different situations. Craig has a primary concierge doctor because his health, his heart condition is so advanced. We have two. We have a main concierge and then we have kind of a secondary concierge. They have different, one's more kind of um, conservative, old school guy. One's more kind of new school, kind of more cutting edge technology. So both different and very valuable perspectives. But then we also have a guy who mon monitors um, 
Craig's rhythms and he's done his AFib procedures when his heart's been racing. He's at Dr. Desai at Mission Viejo Hospital. Then we have a doctor in LA who's not involved at this point, but who did his open heart surgery five years ago. Then we have the guy, Dr. P, who's at Hogue, who does the stents and who did his angiogram and his his balloon pump last time. So he has a very unique perspective because he's been in there and he did that a year ago. And then he did a couple a procedure for us a couple years ago. So it just gets so complicated and they're all so busy. But here's the thing. There is definitely a thing about having too many cooks in the kitchen and it kind of makes for a logistical nightmare. And we hit those this in this um, situation, this time around, we hit that quite a bit where the doctors were getting frustrated because they were like, listen, I'm getting too many calls. I'm getting too many opinions. This needs to streamline, which I understand. But Craig's situation is so complicated that I think it is worth having too many opinions because everyone has their own set of experiences and perspectives. And those different perspectives, because his situation, I'm telling you, is just so tricky. And there's so many things to consider. He just, he really has several negatives that we're just trying to navigate. And what's the priority and what caused this last episode? So to kind of fast forward through all this, he's in the hospital, he's doing monitoring um, to kind of spare you the details that aren't as important in the story. But yesterday we're sitting there and we, and his blood work was coming back better. His numbers were improving. The ultrasound was okay. Like nothing seemed alarming. They put him on one new med, adjusted the other meds. And they're like, you're good to go. And at first we're like, oh my God, we're being, we're being released. This is amazing. Craig's going to make it to Parker's pre-K graduation, which he really didn't want to miss. Like, yes. And then kind of as we sat back, I was like, wait a minute. We didn't actually fix anything. We're kind of leaving almost in the same situation where we were at, where what's, I mean, this, this heart stop that happened again could never happen again, or it could happen again in two days because whatever is the root cause is still there. So we kind of sat back and we were thinking about that. And then one of the, so two of the doctors signed off on us going home. One of the doctors said, no, no. This, there is something else happening. I am not letting you go out into the wild before we figure it out. Dr. P took us into an angiogram today. He went in there and he's like, I'm just going to figure it out. Is it a blockage? Is it a blood flow issue? Is it the valve? Um, Is the triple bypass that we had five years ago, is that that failing? Is that not holding up? I got to get in there and figure it out. So he goes in. Craig, who is crazy and likes this kind of stuff, does kind of like a twilight instead of general anesthesia. So on the big screen, he's kind of dazed, but watching everything and hearing the doctors and the nurses talk about it, which is so crazy to me. But he is so tough. I mean, he is so strong in general, mentally and physically. It's crazy that he's able to take this. And we kind of felt like this time we were taking hit after hit. And he just takes it, you know, he processes. It's not like he's, he's suppressing, he's not suppressing it. He's just kind of like, um, he takes it as it comes and, and sees the best of it and knows that the only way to the other side is to, is to work through it. And so this doctor is like, no, no, I'm going, I'm going in there you have to stay another day. You do not want 
to be an add-on at the end of the day unless it's absolutely essential. And this is such a great point for people working procedures. He's like, listen, I'm fine. Um, you know, I have a steady hand no matter what. I've been doing this for so many years. It's game time for me. But you don't want a staff that's been working so long and they're so tired and they thought they were going home doing this, what could be tricky because he didn't know if he was going to get in there and it could be a three or four hour thing if he's doing a bunch of stents and if he's trying to find different things, it could be long. So he's like, do it, be patient, stay another night, do it at 1 p.m. Let's go in and figure it out. So he goes in today. It's about one hour. He calls me because they're still kind of all in there. I'm, I'm waiting there. And he calls me and he goes, it's the valve. The valve, we always knew that the valve was faulty, just kind of like not opening and closing properly. So we always knew that. We always knew the valve was a problem, but it was sl very slowly declining. But for some reason in the last year, it's like rapidly declined, like to where it is like ASAP, really important to get the valve completely, the aortic valve completely replaced as soon as possible. He so much so that he described it as, as if every time your heart beats, the blood is rushing through like the hole the size of a quarter, right? Like, psh, like rushing through back and forth, back and forth. And so Craig's right now with that valve, that fault, faulty valve that's not opening and closing right, it's like pushing that same amount of horsepower of blood through a dime size hole. So every beat is just so hard on the heart, so hard on the heart. Um, and what we've learned is we need to keep the heart strong, right? Like we can't exhaust the heart like this. So he said, listen, this is so fragile that I can't even, I want to come in here and do at least one stent to open things up. I can't even do that. I, this is too risky. You have to go get the valve replaced first. And there are specialists that do that. So it's not, it was not something that could be done at the time. Go get the valve replaced, get sewn up, recover, then come back. I'll do a stent or two see what else we need, but it's not something that can be done at the same time. It's not something that can be done now. So it felt like we just did this procedure just to get information, but that's exactly what we needed. We needed more answers. And really the takeaway of it is not just accepting what you're told. And again, the doctors, all the doctors that we have going are brilliant. They're at the top of their field. We, I feel so fortunate to live in an area with um, such a such a such a great hospital near Holyoke Hospital, and such great competent doctors, and we've just become friends, friendly with so many doctors, and and um, feel like we get really great care. I'm so grateful for the level of care. Um, but even saying that, those doctors were going to release us, which we now know was absolutely the wrong decision because, like I said, we didn't find the root of the problem yet. We hadn't fixed it. And that's really one of my biggest, my biggest problems with medicine. I know that a lot of people talk about this, but really living through it is that so much of what happens, the diagnosis and the treatments and the medication is treating the symptoms, not treating the actual cause. And I think a lot of things come down to, you can really fix so much with health and diet and nutrition and sleep and mindset and hydration and overall wellness and all that stuff. And I think that doctors don't ask enough, honestly, about all of that and try to work on that and supplements and, and magnesium and vitamins and you know IVs, if that's your thing, 
all that type of stuff I think is often overlooked and we go straight to medication and pharmaceuticals and I just don't always think that that's the answer. And I also think that everything comes at a cost. And that's another thing I've really learned with all of Craig's things is everything comes at a cost. Like he had to do, I can't remember if it was today or yesterday, a crazy test with dye in his whole body, like radiation and dye. And like, oh, to me, that's, that is like, comes at such a cost, but we needed the information that you get from it. We needed it. So everything is a, it's a risk versus reward trade-off. So balancing that out, asking questions. Also, never get just accepting the answer without asking more questions. I feel like even when I, when a doctor would leave us, even if I didn't have more questions, I would, I would ask more questions. Like even I would just kind of almost when I'm trying to process and kind of understand all the doctor's lingo, even though I've learned so much of it from through the years and just reading and researching and, and all that, um, I would still kind of ask general questions just because I needed more of their time. And a lot of times they will give you that. One thing I posted about in my last Instagram post is about passion. And I really saw that when people could tell how much we, of course, you're invested in your own health, but how much we had learned and were educated on it and we value their perspective and their expertise. People are happy to give you time when they see that fire and that passion. Like I would say, you know, I know you are so busy, but I just have these couple quite quick questions that I wrote down. I would, I would love if you could clarify for me. And I'm always fast. I'm always considerate of their time. It's not like a suck of their time. But also if they're like, do you have any questions? You're like, no, they leave. And I can see why people would say no instinctively just because it's overwhelming. And then later you're like, shoot, I didn't ask this or this. So what I learned is sometimes even if I didn't have a specific question, I would kind of just ask a general rephrasing question of what they just told me so they would elaborate. Or can you explain a little bit more about this? That way I could fully understand and not just accept what they were telling us, but really process it. Because even though they're the experts, they're the doctors. And I always say that, listen, I'm no expert, but here's what I do know about Craig specifically. So that's how I approached so many parts of this because nobody can know your history like you do. Again, they have so many patients. So the doctors wanted to put Craig on a certain medication and it's really the medication that we think was the final straw that led to his first cardiac arrest. It's a heart medication. It is a tricky heart medication. Ideally, you're only taking it in the hospital being monitored when you're on it, which is what we should have done the first time that was really on Craig. He was like, he was like, no, I'm good. I've done so many heart medications. I want to bypass that step. He should have never done that. He should have listened to the guidance, which I didn't even know. Um, I wasn't even in that conversation. But anyways, this medication, we're pretty sure he reacted to. He felt terrible when he was on it. Um, and I think he almost kind of, not an allergic reaction, but a sensitivity to it. And it was just was all bad for him. So when we were in the hospital, the doctors are like, I think we're, we're, we want to start this medication. I'm like, are you, are we like, are we not thinking here? Are we not looking back? This medication was the worst for him. Absolutely not. There has to be an alternative. There's no way. I know in my soul this could be bad. I do not feel comfortable going home and having him be on this medication again when it reacted, when he reacted so badly in all ways. And they listened. 
they could see my passion and that I just want what's best for him. And they said, okay, we'll readjust. And the whole team went back and they powwowed and they figured out a modification and two different medications that could work in a similar way. And then we're not taking the risky medication, but it's just a matter of standing up and not just accepting what you're told, but questioning, pushing when you feel like it and going with your gut. The other thing when you're in situations like this, it's very easy to be overwhelmed and kind of frozen and not take a big step back and breathe. And when I would do that, I would just think about how grateful I am for the care and especially the nurses. So every day I would bring Craig kind of, when he's in the hospital, he kind of gets in a routine. He just kind of picks like one lunch and I would make it for him or pick it up for him, whatever it is. This time it was a Sergeant Pepperoni's, the most awesome ever pizza place. If you are in Newport Beach or anywhere in Southern, in uh, Orange County, they have several locations, the best pizza ever, Sergeant Pepperoni's. They also have really good turkey sandwiches, like this like thin, fresh bread with like, just like carved turkey and veggies and lettuce and onions and balsamic, just like these really yummy wrapped turkey sandwiches. Like like one half is almost a full meal. So two is kind of, you would, you would have almost at two separate times, like delish. So I brought him one the first day. He's like, yes, love this. Bring this for me every day. So every day when I would come, well, first I went on Amazon. I hit red plastic trays. It just reminded me red hearts. And I bought like five plastic trays, right? Delivered to the house, done. Then every time I would go to Sergeant Pepperoni's and pick up his sandwich, I would get eight more. And I just put them on a platter and I brought them wherever we were. So one time we were in the um, the cardiac um, the cardiac floor. I brought them for the nurses there. And then today I brought a platter for the cath lab where he had the procedure done. And then I brought another one another day when we were in a different area. So, and not to say that you have to spend money or bring things, but I think just really showing gratitude and even just bringing small things. You can spend $20 and get a little something. These sandwiches are like beautiful and huge. So I spent $100 each time, right? But for me, it's just like, I know how hard they're working. I feel like I would love to get, if I was in their position to get, to get a a yummy lunch. And it's just like, I, I can't express how grateful I am, the care that they give and the attention and how patient and calm they are. It just, I'm just so grateful. And I think that it makes me so happy to do it for them. And I think that it just makes them feel rejuvenated. I don't know. I just, I love bringing something to the hospital. I feel like also, um, I don't, I definitely don't do it for special treatment at all. It's purely 100% honest to goodness for gratitude. But of course, naturally, when you show your appreciation, you, they, I don't know, they, they now know like that you, how do I say this? They now know how grateful you are and how passionate you are and how much we, we value them and you create a, a relationship, a dynamic. And I feel like we, it brought us closer to them. Right. And so you get a little bit more care and attention and they stay in the room longer and it just creates a better environment because it sucks to be in the hospital. Like it just, you feel like you're in jail. You don't know when you're going to get out. It's just so hard. There's unknowns, the whole thing. We're walking the halls. Lots of it's sad, the things that you see in here. So I feel like 
by bringing um, lunch to everyone every day just kind of made a sense of community. It's like bringing, bringing lunch over to a friend's house. It just, it created a great feeling. And I feel like we um, develop little relationships with the people in the hospital. And I think that's a very good takeaway. Um, even if you're overwhelmed and even if you're, you know, kind of frozen dealing with things understandably, but think about how you could show your gratitude to those taking care of you. I'm telling you, even do it, do it for the genuineness and the gratitude, but I'm telling you it, it comes back to you in ways that it strengthens your relationship and, you know, it makes you, it makes you memorable. It's funny because when Craig was there a year ago, the kids and I went to Costco and made these big baskets and we put, um, we put pictures on the front and saying, thanks. Um, thank you so much for taking care of our dad's heart. And so many people when we were in the same hospital this time said, we still have that picture up on our fridge. Um, we'll never forget you guys and the kids bringing those treats in. So like those things last and when they're having hard days, you know, seeing those little things or feeling that gratitude, I feel like, you know, helps push them through. You want to hear the craziest thing? If you listen to the podcast that I did with Karina, the CPR nurse who who did CPR and saved Craig's life the first time a year ago in Hogue, she came to Craig, she saw his name that he was in the hospital and she brought him flowers in his hospital room. Like, are you kidding me? Or the nurse brought him flowers. Like we've developed relationships, right? These are real humans doing life-saving work and to appreciate them and to know them and for her to even think to bring Craig flowers was like totally blown away. So the takeaways, people have different opinions and different experiences. Even if they're brilliant, get lots of opinions because you never know when one opinion can be the breakthrough opinion that, that, you know, like gives you a little window, a different perspective into what's actually going on. Chart everything. This is one thing that I think Craig and I got a little bit too comfortable. Like we really should have kept on, like Craig really shouldn't have any salt at all. And he'll have, you know, in Mexican food, he'll have, um, you know, a bucket or whatever, half a basket of salty chips. And at the beginning, after his last surgery, we would have never done that. But, you know, you get comfortable. You're like, oh, it's fine. Like, I feel great. I've had no episodes. But we know that based on his condition, that's kind of a forever thing. Like, really, he needs to eat a very low-salt diet. Um, also, he got too comfortable and wasn't telling me enough. So I didn't know his heart rate has been running high for the last few weeks. That absolutely he should have told me just because I manage his health and his doctor's appointments and that kind of thing, or at least told some doctors. Um, so he, the patient needs to be really good. And I think this, a lot of people, um, don't want to go to the doctors. They avoid it. They'd rather not know. They'd rather not hear it. But I'm telling you, I love, I posted an awesome thing about a wellness calendar that I love and I track everything on my wellness calendar. I write on it every morning when I work out, I write what my workout was, how I'm feeling, whatever it is. I felt bloated yesterday. Could be avocados or yogurt, you know, like that type of thing. Or I feel run down or I feel high energy. I did a level 10 workout today. Whatever it is, I'm constantly charting what everything, everything body health, right? So for me, that helps a lot. And that way I can see, wow, this month I felt run down seven days. What do I need to adjust so I don't feel like that? I feel like if you have a a health situation, or if you're like me and you don't, just tracking how you feel is so valuable and it makes it real. 
And you can look back at the month and actually make it, you know, quantifiable to where you can count how many days you felt like something. So I um, was frustrated with Craig that he um, wasn't, wasn't more on top of it. You, you can't let your heart rate run high for many weeks and not be proactive about doing something about it. So um, we got too comfortable and we're going back to keeping a daily log, charting things. And it literally takes just two seconds. It's figure out a time, put it near a watering hole, put it somewhere where you go every day, your sink, your desk, your kitchen, where you make coffee, whatever it is, so that you write in it every day. I think that so often people get themselves into health situations because they ignore symptoms or they ignore small symptoms. I've learned, I've heard so many stories through this, spending so much time in hospitals and with doctors and nurses and spending so much time in the hospital with Craig. I think a lot of times people have small, small symptoms, small things happen that they either ignore or they don't keep track of. So you don't really remember how often it's happening, but if you just charted it, you would have such a better perspective of it, um, like Craig should have done with his high heart rate. We got too comfortable, and that's not a good place to be when you're battling a health issue. One other thing I've learned a lot about lately is managing the family's happiness during vulnerable times. So having the kids at home and being the last week of school and being sad that dad's not home, figuring out ways to keep everybody going. And naturally, it's going to weigh heavy on our hearts, 100%. But how can I make it better? This is what I learned, especially with kids. First, I took them to the hospital. Oh, thank goodness. All the COVID restrictions are, 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 are lifted. I was so glad and shocked. I brought all the kids the first night. The first night he was there, once we knew he was stable, because I needed them to see. We went in. We didn't tell him. It was a surprise. And we were like, look at dad's apartment. And they went in. They walked through. We just I, I turned music on on my phone just so it felt like we were at home. And I felt like it made the first night go better for Craig because it wasn't like you're in jail, sit here alone, cold, cold room. It was kind of like we brought in the chaos and then we left with the chaos. By the time we left, he was like, thank you. Give me peace and quiet. Goodbye. I love you. But also for the kids, it made it so it wasn't this scary unknown thing. Like he was missing and where was he and when would he be home? It was like, no, he's still the same guy. He's just in a gown and hooked up to things and he'll be home soon. So I took them in because, and I hadn't even planned on it. I could just tell that night and it exhausted us. It really exhausted all of us um, just because it's like the park and the walk and the it's like down a different wing. It's like a process, but it made, it was the right move for everyone at that time. Okay. So then after that, they're good. They've seen him. He's seen them. Now let's just focus on really all the medical, all the medical, you know, details. You really have, I really had to stay laser focused on it. And I think that was the craziest part for me personally is skipping an entire night's sleep, but not like, you know, when you skip a night's sleep, you kind of like, I don't know, lay on a couch or like kind of doze off. I literally was working at a high level the whole time. Doctors, texting, phones, connecting, the whole charting, all the things. So I left the hospital that first night at like 5 a.m., got home at 5.30, released Brandon. I um, showered made breakfast for the kids, woke them up, took them to school and like carried on. So there was like one whole night not sleeping. But 
even crazier than that was working at a high level. Like this whole thing has been intense for all these days. So I think that the thing that I did differently and I would recommend is not letting yourself get too weak or run down. So that first night, it was no option. We were in emergency mode. I could, no no choice. But after that, I was like, I have to uphold Craig's happiness, health, the family, the kids, the house, uh, managing the doctors. I need to be sharp. I must make sure I'm not completely just running myself into the ground. So one night when I came home, I texted my mobile IV nurse. Her name is Stephanie. She is incredible. She has saved me so many times. But last night was the the biggest save she's done for me. I texted her in the in the afternoon and I was just like, hey, I'm so run down. Is there any chance you could come give me um, an IV with um, with like a Myers cocktail is what I do. Highest dose of vitamin C. I do a B12 double shot. I do glutathione and magnesium for calm and, and relaxation and all the health benefits of magnesium. And so she did like a one hour IV for me. And I was like, yes, that is what... That is what I needed. I was so dehydrated. I just needed to get my body strong again. Then I woke up the next day, woke up extra early. I only got maybe like five hours of sleep, which was not ideal, but I needed to get a workout in. I had skipped two days, which I never do. I needed to move my body for my body and for my mind and for clarity. So what I would say is if you are taking care of somebody else, you have to do those self-care things. I don't even like the term self-care. You have to do those things that rejuvenate your body and your mind because you can't show up fully for them if you don't. And it's so hard to prioritize because I just want to be at the hospital every minute that Craig is there. I just want to be there. I don't want to miss a doctor's visit. I don't want to miss a a detail. I don't want to miss anything. And I want to be there for him if he needs me. But what I also realized is when he says, hey, I'm good, take that as like, he's good. Now go home and replenish and figure out how to refuel yourself so you can wake up the next day and do it all over again. Also, one thing I always do in situations like this is I make sure that I take the time to like actually get ready like I would on a normal day. Because if I just race out with, you know, for me, I like at least a little bit of makeup. I like to do something with my hair, even if it's pulled up and just put on something. If I dress, if I like dress, dress nicely, like how I would, I feel so much better You know, it's kind of, you just, you feel sluggish if you, you know, run out in your old sweats versus if you at least put on like fresh matching sets, you're like, okay, I got this. Like, it's just a different level of like inner confidence for me. I just feel like, okay, I am ready for the day. I also feel like it's like, I'm not just giving up. I'm showing up. I'm ready. I'm, I'm ready for battle. Um, and, um, I don't, not everything else has to fall by the wayside. So for me, um, feeling like, I was still doing my normal routine, I think is a very, very good takeaway and a very good practice to get into. Um, I want to talk about so many other things, not just the hospital, but the last thing I want to say about this is mental toughness. Mental toughness is so crazy valuable. I was surprised at first when this was happening, I was just in such surprise when, when Craig had the defibrillator put in, we were like, we're never going to need this thing. Like we're, that, that was a one-off, one-time cardiac arrest. We're glad that we have it, but, but did we even really need to do it? And oh, man, did we ever. But 
in this, for this topic, mental toughness, I, when I felt myself getting emotional, I was like, okay, feel the feelings, like let them out, feel the feelings. But this is game time. This is, this is the Super Bowl. This is the moment. This is not the time to go through every thought you've ever had, every worry you've ever had. No, feel the feelings, but know that emotions can come later. This is time to be focused. And I feel, I feel very proud for the help I'm able to give Craig and, and work with the doctors, but I'm also like kind of a tiger in these situations in the best way. Today I pulled up there and it was like, I was pulling up right before the angiogram I needed to get in there. And, um, the valet guy was like, kind of looked around and he was like, Oh, I don't know if we have room. And then he's like, oh, yeah, valet's full. And I looked at him and I was like, my husband is going in for a heart procedure. I need to leave my car with you. Here's $20. Can we make this happen? And basically I was saying, we will make this happen. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, thank you so much. Have a great day. Like I'm just out here trying to turn no's into yeses, like nobody's business because like that was the only option. In that moment, they they were going to take him early. I had gotten a message and I, I was at the hospital. Then I left to go get everybody the sandwich platter and I came back and I was like, I got to get in there. There was no time for me to go all the way to the structure. So constantly trying to politely turn no's into yeses. Um, but also that mental toughness part, I'm telling you, it's why I believe so much in, in pushing yourself um, physically, daily to create mental toughness. I think if we get soft and if life gets too easy and gets too comfortable, when, you know, hard news comes or really sad things, we crumble because we're just not used to dealing with hard things. So by pushing yourself through hard situations on the daily, I think that it conditions you. It's like, you know, it's like the practice for the Super Bowl. Um, I think that that's very, very, very valuable. And if I were to let my emotions take over and not be mentally tough, I could never be there and show up for Craig at the level that at the level that he needed. Um, and I would just pep talk myself. It's not like I didn't. And I, I was surprised at myself because I would catch myself tearing up when we when a doctor would come in and would say something sad, like, oh my God gosh, like it just felt like a kick in the gut. I would catch my whole face tearing up, but like, this is happening to Craig. Like I need to be strong for him. He, even though I'm more emotional and definitely am more of a crier than him for sure. I've only seen him cry a handful of times ever, but you don't want your main support system looking like things are really shitty. That's not what you need to see. So when I felt myself tearing up, I was like, Craig needs me. Craig needs me to show up for him right now. Whatever it is, we'll work through it. Whatever it is, we'll fight it. And so um, being being able to do that, I think, is key in situations like this, if, especially if you're taking care of somebody else and they're looking to you for reactions. The better reaction, the better reaction you can have, always the better for them and their mental state. Mm. Oh my gosh, my voice is like literally going after this crazy week. Okay. So that's kind of the update and the lessons learned on Craig. Um, oh, today is Wednesday night. A week from now, next Thursday is the tentative time. We go to Cedars, um, which is the premier hospital, really, I think, in the country for this valve replacement. So it's in LA. We're going to go to Cedars and have that done. And hopefully that goes smoothly. And then it kind of 
then we start down the line. We get that fixed, heal. Then we go have a couple stints put in, heal, and then figure out what's next. So it's definitely a long journey, uh, but we're up for it. We had a vacation planned that we have to cancel, which I think is one of the hardest things for Craig because in these situations, it's so good to have something to look forward to. So even though we'll be able to postpone it, we don't know when yet, when he will be cleared to fly. So that's my next thing is figuring out, I need to put some things on the calendar that are doable that he could look forward to because I don't want him thinking, okay, we have this procedure, then this procedure followed by this procedure. And there's a very little light at the end of the tunnel. It's like, no, no, no. We got through that big hurdle. We're home. We're together. We're enjoying all the daily little things. And then I'm going to set up some bigger things just to look forward to like we were looking forward to vacation because I think that's really important when you're going through a tough time if you can really have something to look towards rather than kind of like the shit sandwich that you're sitting at the moment as it feels. Um, It's just so much better. So that's that's the plan for him. I can't thank you guys enough. I got so many DMs and comments, like overwhelmingly so, and I'm just so grateful for it. I'm telling you, I just believe so much in the love and the prayers and the energy and the kind words. Um, It's difficult to share on social media. I feel like it's such a personal thing, but I like sharing the story because I think there's takeaways from it. And I find it interesting when people share their perspectives and their stories. And I think there's such value in hearing what someone's learned by going through things that you haven't gone through. And hopefully you never do. But if there's any takeaways um, from this, I hope it's really valuable for what you end up going through. So more updates to come, but I'm so grateful for, I really am so grateful for all of the love and support. It's really, um, it's really been game changing. And honestly, also we, you know, we have so many friend groups in between um, Craig's office and uh, my team and the kids go to two different schools and our friend groups. It's nice to put it out on social media. So everyone kind of knows So if they see, you know, kind of friends that we don't necessarily talk to on the daily that I wouldn't have mentioned it to it yet, they see them at school and they kind of know they're a little bit extra kind, even if no one's talking about it, you know, you give a little grace. They know what the kids are going through. This morning at Parker's graduation, he's always a kid that's, that's singing and doing the the hand motions and everything. And he kind of stood for the one main song. He kind of just stood there and I just like, oh, my, my heart like crushed because I could just tell that's, you know, barely six years old. It just weighs so heavy on him. He was kind of just frozen, like kind of in a daze. And I'm just like, man, this weighs so heavy on all of us and in different ways. And it's my job to help them, give them the tools and tell them the truth, but in a softened kid version and just kind of help them work through it, feel the feelings. And, uh, but anyways, the whole point of that is I think having your people all kind of have a heads up of what's going on is really valuable, especially with the kids, right? So other people at school kind of have a heads up, give them extra little love or extra little attention or hug when they need it. I think it's just really, really valuable and key. So having that on social media really, really benefited us this time. I mean, I think every time, but I really, I really feel great about it that way. Okay. That's the sadness. Sadness over. Closed chapter. I posted a couple weeks ago, like two weeks ago that I was like all fired up and ready to podcast about it. And so many people DM me and were like, yes, let's go. Let's hear it. So I wanted to, as since, because this is kind of just a chit chat podcast and things that I've learned lately, 
I wanted to talk about standing up for your people when you need to. So I do a lot of podcasts on being very careful about what you give your energy to and my favorite, one of my favorite books, The Secret, uh, wait, what is it called? The Art of Not, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, all the books about, you know, choosing what you're going to give energy to, not, not caring about the little things, don't give energy to things. I've, I let very few things bother me and I let very few things get me heated. That being said, um, I had a couple situations. I got to think if I could tell these exact stories. I had a couple situations where my kids were being, my kids were being pushed around a bit and I was like mama bear mode activated. So, um, there Parker goes to a hip hop class and there is another boy in his hip hop class that in the last few weeks, he tries to pin him against a wall. So I've noticed this and I've said something to the staff. I said something to the mother, the boy knows, like I've said something. And so I just had this feeling about this. I'm like, you know, he is, he gets all up in his, he just gets right in his face and he tries to pin him to the wall and it doesn't really make sense. And so I, I, um, it just was weird. I was like, there's just something off about this. So Presley and I are watching two weeks ago, Thursday night, hip hop, and the boy goes to pin him against the wall and is trying to kiss his face. And Parker's like trying to get off. Like he's just like, oh my God, what's happening? And so Parker's five at the time. The boy's like six and a half and he's like taller than him. And so I, they don't want you going into the room. So I find my friend who um, is the director of the center. And I was like, hey, this is unacceptable. This boy has kind of done this over the past few weeks, but this is like, we, you know, this is unacceptable. You need to handle this. She's awesome. She went in, she told the assistant that was in there. And my gut was like, that's not enough. But I was like, okay, chill out. Don't be crazy. Let's just, you know, let's just give it a beat. And sure enough, they are in, in the recital. They're next to each other. So they go to line up. And sure enough, the boy does the same thing. And I see this look of fear. Presley and I are on like a two-way or like a whatever, a, a mirror that we can see them, but they can't see us, like a tinted one-way mirror. And so I'm like screaming, like, no, like get off of him. Because I can see he's just like traumatized. For some reason, this boy's pinning him against the wall and trying to kiss all over his face. Thank goodness Parker like moved his face. So Parker didn't feel like super violated necessarily but it was awful. It was all kinds of awful. And I was so mad at myself because I had warning signs. I should have, I should have, I should have blown the F into that room and just ripped my kid out and, and, and made it known that like, you know, when it was sort of happening that I knew in my soul that what, when she went in there and she did a great job, Shannon, who run this is wonderful. She's running the whole center. She could have never known the whole history of how many times I've kind of seen this start like leading up and getting progressively worse. Um, but then she ran, then when I was screaming, I was just like, this is my, like my boy, like he literally looks like, I mean, the look of panic on his face. So she runs in and then she talks to him and he puts his head down and clearly it's sad. Like he is working through something, but it was full. It was so beyond a violation of privacy, of space, of everything. So I was like, mama bear activated, man. Like I've, I've given everyone a very polite warning on this. His mother wasn't there during the class, but I knew she would come to pick him up. So 
I had Presley go. I didn't want Parker to feel ashamed or embarrassed because he, he, there's no reason he should be. Um, I was like, Presley, walk all the way around. She did a great job all the way around the parking lot. Take him to the car. I'm going to speak to this mother. And I just said, listen, she doesn't speak much English. Um, she speaks fluent Chinese. And so I didn't know how much I could really communicate with her. But I said, hey, remember, I gave you a heads up about this. And what happened today was completely unacceptable. Um, you know, this is what happened. And then Shannon, the director, came out and was even kind of more intense about it, which was nice just because I needed her to know that this that there's no way this could happen again. She's like, okay, I'm so sorry. But she didn't seem surprised. She was very, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but she was not surprised. And so I was like, okay, this is something the child's working through, which, listen, I have so much sympathy for. Parenting is so hard and children and and the different the different things that they go through and so much is, you know, personality and what they're born with or it could be environment, who knows. But all I know is my job is to protect my kid. I was mad at myself that I only that I only 50% protected him and thankfully we worked through it. I said, Presley, we're not making a big deal out of it. We had a healthy talk about it. We moved on. He hasn't talked about it since, but I know based on his face that it was a very traumatizing experience. I can only hope that it's something that he doesn't remember later on and things like that. But based on how it's looking, he hasn't mentioned it. I don't think so. But the lesson is when your instinct says, and I just didn't want to be, I didn't, I really didn't want to push it on my friend who I love that runs that runs the place. I didn't want to run in because I knew that that's really what they don't want. And I was like, okay, she handled it. Let's keep a close eye. And I was literally at the window, but I didn't realize I couldn't stop it quick enough from where I was standing. I couldn't get in the room quick enough to actually stop it. So I was so mad at myself. I felt like I didn't protect him. I was also fired up that I had mentioned I had that I felt like I had addressed the issue and um, it still happened. I was mostly mad at myself because you know what? Accountability is everything. You got to take accountability. You got to you got to accept accept it. Um, so I accepted the the fault on it, and I know now, right? I've made it very clear to everyone, and he hasn't been back to the class since, just because Craig's um, health issues. Um, it was his birthday week first, and we had a birthday at at one of the activities, and then Craig's heart issues happened, so he hasn't actually been back. But the lesson learned is. If you need to protect your kid or someone in your family, F the rules, man. You can always apologize later. I wish I would have gone with my gut. I'm glad that this lesson was learned so deeply and it, you know, it came at a cost like everything, but not a huge cost to where I will never learn that lesson again. If I have a gut about my kids in that way, I'm I'm not going to listen to the rules. I'm going to do what I know is the right thing. So that was one thing that got me all fired up. I was just like, man. The situations that we're in that you never expect. Then, same day, we're driving to, um, we are driving to open house for one of my kids and one of the girls. And she um, is like, man, I'm really dreading this. And she loves school, loves her friends. And I was like, why, why would you be dreading this? Is this all your work for so much time? How could you be dreading this? It's going to be so exciting to see all your work and it's just going to be amazing. And she goes, yeah, but this one teacher has been so hard on me lately. And I was like, okay. And I'm always the type of person. I'm not like, oh, my kid's always right. Um, my kid can do no wrong. I'm like, listen, you respect authority when you're, when you're wrong. You have to, you know, you have to, you have to uh, face the consequences. You have to be responsible and turn things in on time. Um, 
and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm definitely, I, I don't think that it's good to make things too easy and try to fix everything and solve everything for your kids. But I also think there's a point where, um, you need to protect your kids. So there's one teacher who I've experienced lately on a field trip who just yelled all the time. And I felt like I was so glad I was on the field trip because I just felt like, um, I just felt like it was, there was, it was an intensity there. And I, I don't feel comfortable with that, this child being in this intensity. So I had already had kind of a heads up that there was kind of this, um, energy happening. And this, the week of open house is also the book fair week. And in fifth grade, you want to go for the gadgets, the pens with the notebooks, with the little cool latches and the gadgets. So all week, they kind of make lists of what they're going to get. They can kind of like go in at recess and peek, but this was their time to go. So everyone gets their money. They're so excited. And this teacher um, says, all right, everyone's going to the book fair, except for her, my daughter, except for you. You're staying back because you haven't finished this project. You're going to stay and work on it and everybody else can go. And then everyone else went and came back. And they're like, that was the best book fair ever. Look at these gadgets. And my child was crushed. And listen, it's her fault that the report wasn't turned in on time. It's her fault that she didn't go to the teacher and figure out um, a way, a solution ahead of time, right? She needs to take accountability for all that. But I 100% don't think it's appropriate to make someone feel embarrassed in front of the entire class in that way. I feel like it's a form of bullying. I really do. And I think that that kills kids' confidence in such a hurtful way. Uh, I think it's, I just, so Presley was, well, that's the kid. She was telling me um, on the way to open house and I got so fired up. I was like, Presley, this is, this, these are the ways that you could have handled this better. Okay. None of us are perfect. Every day we're waking up trying to be the best, the best version of ourselves. This is how you could have done better. Let's learn it. Let's do it better next time. But I am not okay with how that was handled. So I went into open house just on fire. And listen, I know that we're leaving the school this year. The, the schools, the feeling of the school has changed and it no longer aligns with our family in many ways. And so I know we're leaving and I know it's not worth it for me to light up this teacher who, by the way, I've loved and every life is complicated. She could be going through things. Who knows? But I was on fire that night, man. And they, the teachers could know because they know me. I, you know, I bring treats. I give everybody hugs. I was on fire for that was the main thing. But then there were a couple other things. One kind of art teacher has always been hard on her and had every kid in the class's artwork up, but not hers. Could it have been an accident or an oversight? Absolutely. Did it feel like that? No. I was on fire that night, man. I went through, I'm sure everyone felt my energy because I just felt like it was bullshit and um, I feel like I am so cool with everything. Nothing offends me. I don't. I try not to be complicated. I try to be very grateful. I listen. If there's ever, you know, if there's ever feedback about the kids, I'm not territorial. But I'm telling you, Mama Bear activated in a major way. And I think the takeaway from this is stand up for your people, but don't give energy in ways that don't help the result. Presley's leaving that school, and she's done with the grade. 
me giving all this energy and, you know, potentially ruining the night of a teacher, that doesn't solve anything, right? But in the other case with the boy's mom, I need to make sure this never happens again. It was worth the energy. So stand up for your people, especially your kids, but don't give things your bandwidth, your energy, your minutes, your time, your, your, all of it, your, you know, your Fox, right? We can only have so many. Um, if it doesn't help the situation, don't do it just to feel better because it's better. You feel better by saving that, by saving your energy towards things that you can affect the outcome in that moment or later on. That's what I've really learned for when it comes to standing up for your people when you need to and in the ways that are best for the situation. Okay, the last thing I want to talk about that I've been thinking about a lot lately that I think is so relevant and um, it works for everyone really, like where we're at right now in seasons going into these summer months and the concept of summering hard, right? So going into summer fully intentional and present and planning so that we summer hard, so that we live summer to the fullest, even if you have um, obligations and if you have different things that limit your time, like we all do in some form. Uh, The way I have learned to do it is I print out these two and a half months for us before the kids go back to school. That's our, that's our summer window, two and a half months. And it's about being intentional, right? So how do you want to spend your time? What do you want to be doing? You can make a brain dump list of people you want to make sure you go to lunch or grab coffee with or dinner. Where do you want to, if you have kids, where do you want to take the kids? Do you want to do a solo trip with your partner? There's so many ways that we can live our life fully. And I think a lot of times we put up hurdles that don't actually exist, right? Hurdles like, well, I'm on a budget and that costs too much. You can do a whole full list of summer things that all don't cost that much, right? You could find cool beach hikes and end the beach hike with like a, you know, a unique homemade ice cream place that's super inexpensive, but so memorable and special. I think oftentimes we put up limits that don't actually exist. And to know that life is long, it ebbs and flows. Sometimes we have, you know, more free time, but less money. Other times we'll have more money, but less free time. I think that being very intentional, calendaring out what you want to do for summer is, it's just, it it just allows you to maximize this this space of time. And I think this is true for any season. I just think for summer, I love the idea of summer hard. I love the idea of putting things on the calendar that you really want to do that you probably wouldn't do otherwise. I'm going to try to get together a big family group trip where I invite, you know, 25, like we probably have like 25 close families and just put it out there and whatever it is. It seems more difficult now than when we were younger. I don't know why we still had kids, but we'd all go to the Kern River and we'd go tubing. I don't know why it just seems more difficult now. Um, I don't know why, but it does. So I'm going to figure out an adventure to start with and just see how many people are up for it. Um, and just something that's outdoorsy and gets families together. And it's just like this massive group, whoever can come, come. If you can go only come for part, like make it this very cool, fluid, 
um, experience where we're just out doing something very cool, very unique that we wouldn't normally do. I think it just brings a sense of, you know, your tribe. It, it, it grows your tribe. It brings your people together and just new unique experiences that are memorable. Doing experiences like this at the end of the year, when you think back, like, what did I do this year? It's those things that stand out, This one, those one day things or even half day adventures that you wouldn't normally do that are, you know, kind of risk, risk taking, not in a dangerous way, but just in like a, well, let's give this a try, see if we like it. Whether it's tasting food or going on hikes or finding a local waterfall, I just think there's so many things. So for me, that's what I have in mind now is how are we going to summer hard? Make it a season of enough rest and um, especially for the kids, kind of rejuvenate, get some extra sleep, but also a time to adventure and try new things and new skills and learn and get outdoors and just have new experiences. I love the bucket list book. I shared this book recently as one of my awesome things. I gave it um, at a little kind of impromptu dinner we did for Craig for his one year anniversary of his heart. And I gave it to all of our heart doctors, everyone involved, because it's like, here is a little reminder to embrace adventures big and small is what I write in the card. And I feel like our doctors gave us a, you know, a second chance at this and a new, a new, a new appreciation for appreciating adventures. So um, that's a great book to pick up. You can check out um, the Our Awesome Things. You can find them always at howtobeawesomeateverything.com and then click on an awesome thing a day, which is now three days a week, not every single day. And look at that book because it just, it shows so many ideas. Some are crazy, like, I mean, not crazy, but some are extreme, like go to a volcano here that's like this epic volcano at this spot, but others are more are more light and easy to do and inexpensive and less of a, a scheduling thing. So there's just so many, there's so many different things. I mean, listen, you can literally Google opportunities, but I love books like this because we'll sit on the couch. I have it out. So we'll sit on the couch and we'll just look and be like, what would be fun? So as we plan things, we have different things in mind. I love doing the things that we always do, like go to Cabo and stay at the same hotels. I'm so grateful for those experiences, but I'm ready for new experiences. So for me, that's what summer hard means is um, making a strict schedule and sticking to it even on the weekends. So for me, that means waking up at four, but letting myself kind of move around slowly for the first half hour, being in the gym at 4.30 to six is ideal. And I can push this back a little bit. And on the weekends, I'll push it back to like 5.30 wake up kind of thing. But if I can get my workout in before everyone wakes up and do the body work and the like mind clarity and focus and think about the day or sometimes think about nothing or sometimes learn or listen to something interesting, it just sets up the tone for the day. And then for me, I actually need to wake up earlier in the summertime than I do during the school year because I really need to get a block of work in before anybody wakes up. Now, my kids are older. Um, they're not like babies. So once they wake up, they don't need me immediately. But you know how it goes. Like, the house starts getting loud. You, They start needing meals, all the things. So I really need to wake up earlier in the summer and then um, get a block of work in whatever is my hardest thing or needs the most focus and then um, have a couple more blocks throughout the day when the kids are doing things or in between. But I love doing what I do. I love working. So for me, it's not a burden. I mean, work is work, but it's it's not a burden. It's a passion and I love getting it in. 
Um, it helps make me feel fulfilled. It helps make me learn. I love working with um, the businesses, especially the businesses I'm working with now are just like seeing so much growth and so much progress and we're able to accomplish so much together and so much increased revenue. I love it so much. So not only do I, you know, I need to set time over time for working, but I love it. It's part of it's part of who I am. I love entrepreneurship and business. It's it's my favorite thing. I mean, aside from kids and all the other favorite things, but it's one of my favorite things. So I um, think that planning our days also will allow us to summer hard, right? So by planning my morning early like that, I can get a good block of work in, get the kids going, do some adventures with them, do a couple more blocks of work. It allows me to still do the things I love and not just live for them because I've done that too. Some summers I really have scaled back on business when I own Million Dollar Tan. I'd scale back on business and really just adventure with the kids, which was a nice break, but also um, I ended and sent them to school and, and then it's kind of like you're in September, you're back with your all your own stuff. You're like, oh my gosh, I didn't do my, I didn't do enough of me. So trying to find that balance, maybe not the perfect balance every day, but so it's sort of, you know, through the weeks and through the months, it ends up feeling and being balanced. So summering hard, get yourself a bucket list book, make a list, prioritize, and build a schedule and stick to it, even if it involves a 4 a.m. wake up. Also, side note, Obey Fitness is the best thing ever, O-B-E Fitness. Any of the women that I mentor that we talk about health and nutrition and fitness and they're like, oh, I can't get into it. I can't I can't make it a routine. I can't do it every day. I can't get to the class. I'm late. I'm telling you, doing Obey Fitness workouts at home are the jam. There's so many types. Like there's this advanced power type of workout that I love. It's, it's with heavy weights, but kind of also momentum, like kettlebell swings and things like that. They have sculpt classes, which are my favorite. You put ankle weights on and it's like long lean movements um, for kind of like, you know, lean muscle, but just like real based on kind of core strength I love. They have yoga classes. They have stretch and breath work. They have hit classes and dance, literally everything. I love it so much. Randomly, random thought, but to uh, random, but not because I was thinking about your summer schedule and sticking to it and figuring out how to get all the things in, especially if you have kids home. And I think Obey Fitness is a great way to do that. So you don't have to, it just makes it easy. You know, on days when you have 20 minutes, it's not enough time to get to the gym and back. So do a 20 minute workout at home and at least you get it in. You can do some major work in 20 minutes. So I love Obey Fitness. If you're struggling with schedule and getting fitness in, try that out. It's genius. And yeah, like I said, if you're listening to this podcast later on, I think that you could apply this kind of summer hard philosophy for like the holidays and just decide how am I going to be super intentional with my time during the holidays? How am I not going to get caught up in the holiday craziness? How am I going to live to the fullest? How am I going to be intentional? How am I going to, am I going to map out the weeks? And I think you could really do it for any season. But in this season here and now, it is about making full making full use of the days very intentionally in the way that you want to for summer, right? And just, I think that the, oh, one more thing I want to talk about. Also, it ties in perfectly to this is with, um, with talking about doing summer hard and, and living experiences, creating memorable experiences. So 
We just had Parker's sixth birthday party. I did it at the clubhouse in Costa Mesa. It's this really cool baseball training facility that just opened our good friends and neighbors. Um, the husband of the couple was an, a pro Angels player. So, and they are just so he's so talented and so skilled, but also they are just very cool. Two little kids and the cutest. So we rented out the clubhouse and we had this party that was a sports party. And my whole feeling the whole time is I just want everyone to have fun. It's a big, huge green turf area, the majority of it. And then there's a lounge area with a bunch of TVs. And the only tricky part for this logistically was their turf is so nice that there's no food, drinks, frosting, anything allowed on the turf which is hard for a kid's party. So we had all of the food and drink in at the lounge area, which absolutely worked, but it was just tricky telling people like I had a little sign up, but I didn't want to be too aggressive. And I think people didn't really see it. So I had to kind of chase people off the turf when they had food and drinks. But that was really like the only tricky part. It really, it really um, panned out exactly how I wanted. I wanted families because it was a nice big space indoor weather didn't matter and I just wanted families to have fun it kind of worked to where Parker just had it was very specific about his closest friends at school and from baseball and from um soccer and you know he just had very specifically um, friends that he's known from preschool and his very little best friend, Sean Jr. and Sebastian. It was just so cool. And their families, all that we love. So everyone was hanging out. The kids were playing. I had a bounce house. We had the batting cage open. The parents were eating. I had my new coolers, which were also awesome things. One's a kid's cooler. One's an adult cooler. And then sort of as the party got going, the adults started doing stuff, which is like my favorite thing ever. Because if adults have fun, first of all, you know it's a really great party if, you, if adults have fun at a kid's party. And also, that's the feeling I wanted. I wanted it to feel like, like a family party, like something fun for everyone, right? So I hired Core Sports. So it they are a they do summer camps they do after school sports at sports programs at schools they're fantastic and you can also book them for birthday parties and so we had three coaches who set up in the back so we had batting cages going little kids were hitting off tees adults were hitting with like the fast pitch fast pitch pitch machine and um it was just so fun. It was so fun. Music throughout. Adults were having cocktails. Um, and Core was doing games. So they played lots of different games. Kind of like a hockey game, but with sticks. I guess it was kind of like field hockey, but kind of different. And they just had very cool competitions. And they did dodgeball. They did coaches versus kids dodgeball to get the kids warmed up. Then, the best part of the entire party, they set up to do parents versus kids dodgeball. And I had talked with the owner, John, who is awesome about this ahead of time. So he had an idea that this is one of my favorite things. I love getting parents involved. I love when par when we all play with the kids. I just think there's something so magical about it. So this was towards the end of the party. John knew I was up for it. The kids, oh, I had um, emailed in one of the paperless post updates. So the parents had an idea, just they knew what kind of party it was and, you know, weren't showing up in heels. I mean, they could, but, you know, it's fun to give people a heads up so they kind of know what the environment's like. So I said, heads up, 
there will be a semi-competitive game, um, parents versus kids. So that's what we did. We did dodgeball. And it was so much fun. I'm telling you, everyone got into it. All of us who were playing, all the parents walked off of there sweaty. And it wasn't like five, 10 minutes. It was like a full 20, 25 minutes. Core went way over their time. They were so fantastic. And it was just like laughing, competition, parents like jumping in the air, trying to nail the kids. And in that moment, I was like, this is such a life moment for me just to be able to, because that's what I hope for every party. And sometimes it works. And honestly, sometimes it doesn't work. And it's never a fail because you have awesome people all together. But just sometimes it just for whatever reason doesn't fall into place exactly as you picture it. And this one did. The kids were laughing and having fun and enjoying the food and the games. But then I'm telling you, when we started that dodgeball, it was a blast. Everyone was dying laughing because they just couldn't believe how much fun it was, how into it everyone was. And it just happened to be such a great group. Everyone, new people met each other. A lot of people kind of knew each other that I didn't even know. My friends knew other other friends. And it was just like very cool families very cool experience. The dodgeball was the icing on the cake. We all walked off laughing. Then everyone kind of walked as a group. We did, I did two cakes for Parker because I did a soccer table and a baseball table. So he had, he wanted to do the soccer cake, of course, because it was a messy cake. Um, Messy, the soccer player. And so he blew that out. Everyone sang. Like it just felt like so much amazing, happy energy. You know what, kid parties, like we all have things to get to. And it, this was ending Saturday night at 6 p.m. So usually there's people kind of edging out. It was, it made me so happy. No one, I mean, a couple of people had sports or whatever, but no one left early. Um, everyone stayed, did the birthday song, had another drink, got some more food from TK Burger. And then um, after we did that, as everyone was still kind of like doing their last conversations and in the bounce house, I asked Greg, my my dear friend and photographer and videographer, if we could blow out the birth the um, baseball cake too, just because I had gotten two cakes, I feel like you gotta blow out both. And so I just went over with Parker and Greg took shots. I just thought it would be really sweet. There were a lot of people around during the first cake, so I thought it would be sweet to just kind of get pictures of him blowing out the cake on his own. And it kind of ended up where him and I had this cool little like, moment together. And I let him, I moved away from him. So he was standing by himself, but like I kind of got to sing to him. And it was just, it was just one of those moments where I felt so happy. And I, for the first time, did not have post-party blues. Almost every time, listen, I'm always so grateful and so happy after. And it's nice relief to not have the work, like to be done with it. But I also felt like it was, it was the most fun it couldn't have been the details worked out, um, all the things I put together, all the things I planned, my vision really came to life. But way more than any of that is people genuinely had fun. Like everyone left smiling and was so generous telling me that this was the best party they had ever been to or the best kid party and they, or they just had so much fun and they didn't expect to have so much fun. Whatever it was, it just made me feel so good to create this magical experience, this moment in time where all of us friends were together and we ended it with with the dodgeball and the cool birthday cake song. 
And then the kids that were still there went on the winner's circle and I shot some confetti, um, not confetti, but like the gold strips, like the metallic strips. So it's not so messy. Um, we popped those on a couple kids. Like they were like winning awards on the, on the winners, on the winner's stand, which was very fun. And I didn't have the letdown just because it couldn't have been any better. A lot of times I feel like, gosh, I, that was very cool, but it's so much work to set up and so much time and money. And then it, and then it happens so fast. And then you're working again to break it down. Like it's just very easy, especially if you do parties that take a lot of time and energy and resources. It's very easy to feel kind of this sense of, oh, this let down after. And the way I've figured out how to navigate that is to really enjoy the process, enjoy the process of party planning. And um, also to get great photos so that you can relive it. The photos and the videos are everything. So even if the party feels like it goes way too fast, you have the photos and the videos forever. Make a photo book, keep it on the the dining, the family table. And so you look at it often and then it makes it all worth it. But I'm telling you this time, I was just like, I walked out of there like, they, like I was just so proud of myself that I did it with all this other, with all the other stuff going on. And it just felt so fun. It really, it really was. So that thinking about creating more memorable experiences. Now, obviously that for me is um, just a few times a year type thing um, just because it's so heavy to put together, but I love it. Um, But creating more memorable experiences like that where we get families together and we do awesome things with our kids, living life and experiencing I had also recently gone to my friend Casey Brown's baby shower, and that was such a magical experience. It was mostly adults, except for her, her kids, and maybe a couple of their family, kids and their family. But there was the most incredible band. It was at the montage overlooking the ocean. It was a little bit of a gloomy day, but still like perfectly breezy. And it was like a cloud with hot air balloon theme. And there were little cloud balloon custom clusters and it was one long table and all white and linens. And I just thought, gosh, what a memorable experience. Like this makes me want to do more of this, get really awesome people together. And it doesn't have to be elaborate. Like both of these examples really were. Her baby shower was like a wedding. It was stunning. And you picked your entree ahead of time and it was, it was just magical. Um, But it's, you know, it's moments in time. And at this stage of my life, I'd much rather spend money on experiences than more stuff. So between Parker's party and Casey's shower, I just felt so lucky in a one month span to have such memorable experiences with close friends and family. I loved it. And it makes me want to do more of it. Um, and I think that's kind of the the message with that one is what memorable experiences can you put together for your tribe, but you're also your extended tribe. Think about what we can do this summer to spend time together so that it's memorable and unique and whatever. We learn something, we grow, we have new experiences, we try things, we take risks. I think it's all so good for you for growth and progress and and um, and trying new things, really. So those are all the things. Those are all the things on my mind. This ended up being a very long episode. I hope it brought 
value. And it was just kind of fun to chit chat. I feel like I listen, I like listening to kind of an insight into what other people are doing. And um, I've been on Heather, my girlfriend, Heather DeBro's podcast so many times and a lot of her podcasts are kind of chit chat episodes. And I love those because it's kind of like, you know, you feel like you're chatting and catching up with a friend. So hopefully that is what this episode felt like. A little bit of a non-conventional episode as we get back to the routine of podcasting. But um, after this, back to our traditional episodes of focusing on specific topics of ways that we can be our most awesome self, um, the tips and the hacks and the ideas to share um, for each topic. So back to the regularly scheduled programming after this, but thank you for taking the time and for listening all the way through. I hope you got lots of value and you know we're always living and experiencing and learning and trying to grow and be better. And I hope by sharing my experiences lately, you got some great tidbits um, that will help you grow or make life easier or deal with health hurdles if um, if that comes your way. Manage your family's happiness, chart everything, all the things. Thank you so much for listening to this chit chat episode. I love spending time with you and I'm looking forward to doing more of it. Thank you so much for listening and have an awesome day. Thanks for listening to the How to Be Awesome at Everything podcast. For more info about today's episode and all past episodes, head over to howtobeawesomeateverything.com where we break it all down. Tell us what you thought of today's topic on Lindsay's Instagram at Lindsay's Cloud. Until next time, go out and be awesome because that's exactly what you are.